Okay, hello everyone. Uh, this is uh, Stephen Ron with another episode of the Profound Pickleball Podcast. This is going to be episode number 12. And joining me today is Jerry Meyer. And Jerry is a fam uh, famous local uh, player, coach, and he's also one of the few uh, level two IPTA certified teaching professionals in the area. How are you doing today, Jerry? Excellent. Nice, nice to talk to you. Well, Jerry, thanks very much for coming on today. Um, wanted to just uh, say once again, congratulations. You uh, had a really good uh, win this past weekend. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes. Uh, we played um, in the Peach Open tournament at North Park. Um, that Raj was the tournament director. With He's got his own platform called uh, A2M that he runs tournaments on, and he does uh, pickleball and table tennis and badminton tournaments oh, wow. locally. And he's got some up north in New York, and he's got some tournaments in India even. But this was his first uh, major, you know, fairly fair-sized pickleball tournament that he ran. Well, how, how many people did you guess were there? They were about 100. Uh, which was a little more than what he expected, but he, yeah. he did well. He managed it really well. Outstanding. I, I believe you uh, you took gold in, in one of the events, right? Yeah, we took. Uh, I played with Joshua Cook from Dalton, and we took gold in the men's advance bracket on uh, Saturday. Right. Uh, which we did. We had twelve teams in it. It was broken down in two round robin groups, and then a, a playoff as single em elimination playoff after that right sounds like you had a lot of good playing in on saturday then i guess right we did we did we we had quite a few games yeah well that, that's what it's all about when you go play a tournament you always want to especially your round robin tournaments you're guaranteed to play you know a good bit of matches there um yeah that's a particularly good format i th i think that'll get more popular as time goes on because it, it kind of combines the best of both worlds. Right. You know, you get the round robin where you get to play, which you don't get in a double in elimination necessarily. There's typically a lot of waiting time. So it's exactly. nice to play, play, play. And then you also have a playoff. So right. I, I see more tournaments adopting that format. And I think it'll just grow also in the future. Okay, very good. A lot of people, Jerry, when they first, you know, speak with you, they figure out pretty quickly that you're not from Georgia, by the way you speak. And why don't you tell us a little bit about, a little bit about where you're from? Yeah, yeah, I always make people guess. I, I say I'm from the deep south. Uh, <laughs> I'm from South Africa originally. Yeah. Um, I immigrated to the States in 99. I've been here a really long time, and my, my accent drifted like a slight little bit and then got stuck. So uh -huh. you know, it is what it is. Uh, but, you know, in general, it goes over really well. People like the accents. So. Oh, yeah. Very, very so I had Mark Price on last week, who's uh, from England. Yes. So got, 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 got two, uh, two in a row here from across the ocean there who joined us here. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about your background in, in uh, did you do any other racket sports before you moved to pickleball? Um, yes, I started out basically in my young days. I just started out as an all-around athlete. I played rugby, uh, college rugby, and uh, windsurfing. I went to the the SAAUs, which is the 
the university championships back in South Africa in windsurfing. Wow. So I played rugby, windsurfing, and then I also did track and field, um, a variety of, of events. I, I did 800 meters, um, long jump, javelin, and discus were my events. Um, and then I also first, the first racket sport I played really was table tennis. Mm-hmm. I played table tennis in college and then uh, later on moved to squash. Um, played quite a bit of squash. And then after we moved to the States, I coached a lot of, um, you know, uh, junior sports. When my kids were young, I coached everything, football, uh, baseball, basketball, and soccer. I was their coach in all their youth sports. And then as as soon as that ended, I started playing tennis. Um, and I played tennis for quite a few years. And then really through tennis, got uh, introduced into uh, pickleball. About five years ago, when Chad Cromwell first uh, started the Atlanta Pickleball Club before there were any tournaments. We had a, a five-line um, circuit, very similar to Alta Tennis. You know, neighborhoods had pickleball teams and we played a similar format to what uh, Alta Tennis was like. Right. And so tell me, if you could pick one thing about pickleball that you like more than any other, can, can you come up with just one thing? This is a hard question for some people. The, 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 the variety of it and the yeah. strategic aspect of it. You know, you, you really, you're busy, you're out there constructing points and you're, um, you're, you're, you're continuously working on that. So it's, it's not just hitting a ball. You're, you're putting your opponent under pressure, moving the ball around, finding ways, you know, to get your opponent to give you an opportunity. So it's, it's very strategic. Um, the saying, and I, and I like that, you know, pickleball is like chess and tennis is like checkers. So <laughs> the, the strategy is much more intricate than it would be in tennis. You know, the patterns are way simpler in tennis, whereas there's much more variety in pickleball. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I play tennis a lot myself and um, yeah, I, I spent a lot more time thinking about the, the strategy part of pickleball than I ever spent with tennis. You know, tennis is pretty straightforward in most cases. But you get into uh, it. Obviously, tennis has strategy too, but it's more about, sure. you know, patterns, some simpler patterns. There's, there's just way more options in pickleball. And then, you know, it's way more social too. I, I just love the sport. It's so much fun. Yeah, the social aspect is what a lot of other guests on here have mentioned as their favorite part. Uh, I think Paul Midkiff, uh, his comment was that we liked most was the laughter. Um, that you know, you play as a point, and even though you may have lost the point, and even maybe taken a smash to the chest, you could still laugh about that. You know, um, it's just such a great sport for the social aspect and people being supportive of each other. Um, Absolutely. At yeah, a no, making this weekend I, and saw that all over the place, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I really enjoy it, and you can see it. I'm kind of known for it. Uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> I have too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you have your, your you have a catchphrase, right? That you typically say during matches quite often. Yes, there's a history to that too. I caramba. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as you know, in tournaments, you're not allowed to cuss because oh, you'll yeah. get a, a violation for that. So, <laughs> in order to avoid that, <laughs> right at the at the early beginning, I uh, I just adopted saying I caramba. Um, you know. <laughs> And then, uh, then it's kind of became, you know, just it became my nickname. Um, <laughs> Mitch gave it to me as a nickname, and and we used to um, play at Fowler Park early mornings, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We had an advanced group playing at Fowler Park, and Mitch Cohen gave it to me as a nickname. So if I, if I walk in the door, then everybody would just scream, "I caramba!" Right, right, and. Uh, after after a while, I decided. Well, okay, then if it's my name, I'll I'll just I'll just adopt it. So I adopted it, and right. uh, now it's become you know now it's become my pickable persona. Everybody knows me by that now. Now, did you get that from the Simpsons or just from from elsewhere? Or oh, I. <laughs> That's where I've always associated that term from. <laughs> Yes, yes, it, it is. It is in the Simpsons. Uh, maybe, maybe subconsciously, um, I think I speak different languages. You know, uh, Spanish is one of them. Afrikaans, English, Spanish. So I, I might have been a combination of the, of the Simpsons and the Spanish, <laughs> right, right. Um, that I use at, at in work. Um, I don't know. It just popped into my head. <laughs> right. Uh, instead of saying something that I would uh, that I would get a violation for, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get 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 uh, get any kind of code violation, I think, for nope. Icaramba, right? Nope. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's 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 good. I, I didn't. Know and and actually, you know, it's a term that's used both ways. You know, it it if you the meaning of it translated. The best translation would be "wow," so it can be right. "wow" in, in amazement and "wow" in disgust. You know, right. it, it's both. Yeah, the way you say it probably tells your you tells other people what you really mean by it. I typically, if I use it in a positive way, I'll say "I caramba, baby." Yeah. <laughs> so if I just say "I caramba," it means. That the ball just dribbled over the net and I couldn't get there and I said in disgust. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, listen, let me ask you real quick about your coaching. Um, I mentioned that you were IPTA um, level two coach, um, and you, there aren't very many of those, you were telling me. So what what are you doing coaching-wise these days? Well, I, I work, you know, I still work full-time um, and then play as much as I can, play a lot of tournaments. So I don't, I try to balance everything, but it's, it's very difficult. I don't have a, a lot of free time, but I, I do coach. Um, last year, I hosted several um, of the pros, pro clinics around town. Um, I hosted the Newmans, uh, Michelle Esquivel, and also Catherine Parento, um, when they come in the circuit, come to town, you know, and have clinics with several students. And then I also do private and semi-private lessons right. Um, right. just for really a very small field because I don't have a much availability right now. 
Right, yeah, if you're working full time and trying to play a lot. Correct, correct. You only have so many hours um, to do things in, you know. It's, it's difficult to to keep all the balls in the air. Yeah. Now, now are you, are you, you're a rep for, is it head, is that who you rep for, is that right? I'm a, a sponsored head player, a team head player. Yeah. Um, and I am also a head um, dealer. Okay. So I'm a head a, a head rep, yes, for for all their racket sports. So it, it's paddles, equipment, um, everything under their um, racket sport. So I I can actually even sell uh, um you know tennis rackets and that. Although I'm obviously I'm focused on pickleball. So yes, right. all right. the all the head products. Okay. So I guess you know Sarah Ansbury pretty well, then, right? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I got That's, my PPR certification with her. Yes, I, my first clinic I ever did was with was with Sarah Ainsbury, uh, more than you know, like four and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I know her. I know her pretty well. She's and a really good teacher. She's a great teacher. Yes, yeah. she's excellent. Okay. So which which uh, which model head are you using these days? Which paddle? Um, I'm using the Gravity Light, um, okay. which I really love. It's a it's a wonderful paddle. There's a little bit of a difference between the Gravity and the Light for me. The Gravity is heavier, but feels a little softer. Right. Um, right. The Light has a little bit of a more direct feel to it. So, and I add quite a bit of lead tape to my Light, so I make it heavier, but. I prefer it because it's 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 not as soft. I, I don't like a really soft battle. Right. Uh, right. Like something with a little more direct feel. Yeah. yeah. Well, one, one, another question I like to ask people is, if you someone came to you and said, hey, Jerry, I've, I've heard about pickleball. I don't know a lot about it. What's the best way for me to get involved in pickleball? What would you recommend to them? I, I would recommend to get in contact with their um, USA Pickleball ambassador in right, their right. in their local area, um, and they can immediately get connected with a place to play and some basic training. Then I would I would really recommend get, getting coaching as early as possible. Um, mm -hmm. You know, get a coach and and do some coaching so that you can learn the 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 correct fundamentals of the game you know i think the hardest thing is to form bad habits and then later when once they're ingrained to, to try and unlearn them so it's probably the best thing is to not do that you know get the get the correct proper fundamentals right off the bat so that you don't you don't struggle later on um unlearning you know bad habits that you picked up along the way yeah, that that that, would, that translates across all sports, uh, no matter what it is. If you get into bad habits early, um, they're yeah. very hard. And then you know, in pickleball, there's a lot of habits to unlearn, even coming from your, you know, from your prior background, like from tennis. You know, from tennis players are generally, you know, upper level tennis players are generally really good pickleball players. But there's also some things that they have to unlearn and relearn. To really, um, you know, go all the way with pickleball. Yeah, I, I, I'm still sort of unlearning a few things from my tennis days as well. I 
sometimes sort of flash back to tennis and want to rip a forehand when I really probably should just hit a reset dink to the middle. Well, I mean, we all have our natures. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. That's right. There's nothing wrong with gripping and ripping. I mean, <laughs> as long as you don't rip it too far or into the net. <laughs> yeah, as long as you can get it over the net um, and keep it in play. Yeah, one thing that I heard recently, this is not a question I've ever asked anyone else, but it's one that I've been thinking about. Um, when you start playing at the, you know, the 4 level, one of the hardest things that I, I've heard a lot of people say is knowing when not to hit a ball. You know, because we get in these intense battles, you were both at the kitchen line and guys are ripping shots. But if the ball is coming at, you know, it's fairly high, a lot of those balls are going to go out but it's hard to lay off of them because we get so in, intently involved in a point. Um, you have yeah. On that? Yes, yes. Obviously, it is really hard to lay off. Um, what I do and what I teach and, and the way that I see it is you, you have to visualize the court as three-dimensional. So it's the flat area of the court, but see it as a three-dimensional box. And if a ball is coming at you, you I call it you have to matrix it. So you have to become Neo, and that could be your best shot of the day, is ducking a ball, you know, shoulder high, let it fly. Yep. And at the teddy, no hitty. <laughs> <laughs> Those are your parameters. But if you think about it as a three-dimensional court, mm -hmm. then you develop a feel for when a ball is hit and it's going to be out. Even... Even if it's a ball with heavy topspin, over time you develop like a, a spidey sense that you 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 can feel that this ball is out, and and you can literally develop that as a, like as another shot. You know, matrix matrix is a shot. Mm -hmm. Get out the way and matrix the ball when it's out. Um, that's ob obviously easier said than done, especially when you're in a in a hand battle. It's difficult. Um, sometimes I call it the ball magnet. Sometimes the ball magnet kicks in and you just can't let it go. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be hard on yourself for that either. You know, it's going to happen. In the heat of the moment, sometimes you'll hit a ball that you shouldn't have. But in general, if you think about it, it's a three-dimensional box and, you know, matrix out of the way. Yeah. Um, that could be your best shot of the day is the non-shot. Yeah, I think that's just one of those things that, you know, you get to play these players who hit the ball really hard, you know, knowing when to, to lay off. And you've got almost no time to make that split decision. And I, I'm getting better at it as I move up the levels a little bit. But every now and then. I think that the, the, the concept of see the court as three-dimensional, you know, mm -hmm. it's not just flat. It's it's all it's also got height, and if that ball is coming at a certain height with a certain amount of topspin, over time you develop a sense. Okay, this there's no way that this can be in, and then you just matrix it. Right. Right. Okay. Very good. Very good. Good stuff, man. Um, now another thing that some people have have uh, been talking a lot about in the last couple of months are some of the new rules that came in this year. Now. And in, in, we just found out uh, within the last week or so that some of those rule changes are not being implemented at the pro level, or at least with the PPA, I believe. Is with the PPA right? only, yes. PPA the PPA only. decided, yes. Okay. Well, I, 
I think what happened is this last rule update dealt with a, a lot of unknowns, mm -hmm. you know, with, with the pandemic and COVID. So they adopted a lot of variations more than what's usual and more than what they've done over the over the years before. And and that incorporated that brought in some unintended consequences. Right. You know, like Zane's chainsaw serve, they didn't they had no idea. They, that came from a COVID rule. They had, you know, it, it was completely unforeseen. Right. They didn't see that that would even be a possibility. And and then here it comes in. <laughs> And obviously, it was unintended, and I think they just wanted to take unknowns out of the equation, which is why they they said, "Okay, they're not gonna they're not gonna use it at the pro level," which right. now it even brings more uncertainty. You know, on the one side it's in, on the other side it's out, but it's only on the pro level, and everything counts for the amateurs. So you kind of have to figure out what operates where. Yeah. Are you doing any of the drops? No. I tried it. Um, I've got a pretty good serve that's that's really well grooved. Um, I tried it, but I couldn't find any advantage to it. So after a while, I, I, I just felt that, you know, there's nothing I'm going to get out of this in the long run. So I let it go. I tried it, but then I let it go. Well, I think I even I, tried Zane's chainsaw, so yeah, just fun. and I, I got that pretty. I added some, you know, he only has topspin on it. One mm -hmm. of my serves is is a slice to the to the outside of the court, so I I incorporated that with the slice. Yeah, um, which it generates a lot of movement on the ball, but again. I can almost do the same serve just as a normal serve. So yeah, your serve is. Yeah, I just stick to my. I have, I have three basic serves, and I I just stick to that. And it, you know, it's like almost like a tennis serve. You know, you want to groove your rhythm, and it needs to be ingrained. You build build up mum muscle memory with it. Kind of want to stick with what you know. Yeah, well, the, the tournament I played this weekend, I did not hit one drop serve. Um, and I'd been hitting some in some recreational play, but again, I wasn't seeing any advantage. So I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to go with what I know best. And I had a pretty good serving day, you know, overall. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the drop serve, I may occasionally throw it in, but it's not going to be any major thing for me at all. And most people that I play at the level that I'm playing are the same way. I see very yes. few people doing it at all. Um, so yes, because the the most important thing with with serving is still is consistency. Mm -hmm. You know, just the way that the rules work, you you can't really afford to lose your serve <laughs> because it's your scoring mechanism. You don't want to give that away. So yes, you want to put pressure on your opponents with your serve as much as you can. But primarily, you don't want to make any errors. You know, you want to keep yourself for as long as you can. So you don't want to take undue risks with it. The, the, the lack of let serves, has that affected any games that you play greatly at all so far? Um, I think I've had one or two that was, you know, a let of such a nature that you couldn't get to it, where it kind of, it barely cleared the no, non-volleys zone line. Right. After hitting the court, one or two, but out of many. Um, 
So it's minimal. I think the effect of that's minimal. I actually do think that that's probably going going away after this year. The motivation, which is understandable, and it is true. The reason they incorporated that is because in tournament play, there was sometimes a situation where if an opponent got a serve they couldn't handle, they would call, call a let <laughs> just because they couldn't handle the serve. So the rules committee put that in to overcome that obstacle. Um, so you can understand it. But, you know, that's specific to fairly upper-level tournament play. You know, it's not something applicable to everyday rec play. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, you know, they made a general rule to govern a, a very particular and kind of rare situation. Although legitimate, there was a legitimate concern. Right. Well, um, recently I saw a statistic um, that came out, was on some of the, the Facebook groups about the growth of pickleball. And I forget the exact numbers, but it was something like four point something million people are playing 4. now. 4.2 million is what yeah. they said. Yeah, and the growth was like 20-some percent level growth. I think they said it was 12 point something percent oh, last year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know. I, my thought on that was, okay, well, what's the source of this, this st statistic? You know, how reliable a statistic is this where, you know. Yeah, I, I was looking, I, I, was, I went, I did some searching for that, and I, I don't have it in front of me right now. But the group that, that put that out is a group that does research on recreational sports all over the country. And it's sort of like a membership. I didn't want to pay $100 for a membership to read the entire report. But I think people who are recreational directors, park and recreation directors, I think they're a member of that organization. And so they, they subscribe to these reports to decide what types of courts to build, what types of you know, okay, things well, put in their yeah, communities. So it seems like it's from a fairly reputable source. Um, I don't know their methodology, like but yeah. I think you and I both agree from having seen the last few years, this sport is growing at a fantastic It's growing exponentially. You know, it's, it's literally exponentially. Every year, um, it's growing faster. So it's not only growing by volume, it's growing exponentially. Um, and I believe... You know, we're, I believe we're only at the tip of the iceberg yet, yeah. you know, we haven't seen the growth. And if you just look around, um, you know, there still is, especially in Florida, there still is so many unutilized empty tennis courts everywhere um, that will definitely, as the demand grows over time, a lot of that will be converted into pickleball. Yeah, we're seeing that around our neighborhood you know, in, in North Georgia and even South Georgia. Um, several of the people I played with this weekend were from, there was a some from Albany, people from Moultrie, Georgia, uh, Dublin, Georgia. A lot of the South Georgia communities are becoming more involved. And two of the guys that we played uh, Saturday were uh, county commissioners in Albany, Georgia. And so they were talking about, you know, what they're going to be doing, expanding their courts down that way. So to me, yeah. there's no end in sight for the growth that we're experiencing. No, I agree. Um, there's been some talk that I've heard about, you know, the sport perhaps becoming an Olympic sport. Have you heard any of that? 
Catherine? Well, they, they, they've included into the Junior Olympics, so it's already in there. Um, I kind of believe, like everybody else, in order for it to become an Olympic sport, we need much more worldwide involvement. Um, especially from the Far East, um, the Asian countries, and if they really get involved on a large scale, the sport will, that will be another wave of explosion for the sport. And, mm -hmm. You know, Daniel Moore is doing a lot of work out there in Japan to promote the sport mm -hmm. uh, because you know, they, they're very strong in racket sports in general. If you just consider, you know, table tennis and badminton, and if we get involvement at that level into pickleball, you're going to have a major influx. Yeah. Great. So, Jerry, we're, we're, we're nearing the end of our time here. Do you have any other final thoughts on pickleball in general you want to share with the group? Um, it's just, you know, like we're, we're fanatics. Yes, it's a very addictive sport, <laughs> um, you know, and it's so much fun um, and it's it's so social and in general, people are so nice and you just have, you know, if you step on the pickleball court, you just have so much fun. It just gives you so much balance in life, you know, especially now when life is difficult and we all have so much to deal with. Mm -hmm. It gives you an an outlet, you know, just to do something physical and stay positive and uh, stay energetic and get some good exercise. It's a right, wonderful right. sport. Right. I think a lot of people have a lot familiar with pickleball don't realize how much exercise you get because they look at a smaller court and think, well, you're just, you know, tennis players who want to be lazy. You're playing on this small court. But I, but I bet if they played for five or ten minutes, they realize that's not the case at all. You know? No, I, my my assessment that is actually that you know with the lateral movement, pickleball is is harder on your on your body, especially your lower body. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody has lower uh, sciatica, <laughs> back yeah. issues at some point in pickleball. So you you better work on your on your dexterity and and stay limber. Because it's it's tough on the hips and the knees and you know all your joints. Uh, and, you laterally and the ball comes fast, you know. Short distance, so it can really come fast. That's right. Um, and you need to be fit. I'm working on my fitness. I'm trying to do as much as I can as a player. And really, you have to work on on being a good athlete and you know take a holistic approach. All right. Very good. Well, Jerry, listen, I really appreciate your time today. Um, like you're, you're, uh, episode number 12, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank you very much, and I hope you to uh, see you out on the court soon, Jerry. Okay? I'd love playing with you, and yeah, no, definitely. Sounds Let's good. Thanks a lot. Okay.